returned from South Africa in 1995 to be part of the Home Office with Evangelical Baptist Mission. We moved to Kokomo, where the Mission Home Office was, and while we were there, we were connected, members of a church, Bible Baptist Church of Kokomo. We spent seven years there and was involved with their sports activities, their young people, uh, and other, other ministries, uh, along with our mission, uh, EBM's ministries. We enjoyed it there. Our children came back. The oldest was 16, uh, Jason, and they went down uh, age-wise from there. Uh, this church uh, surrounded us with love. Uh, they were involved with uh, our lives um, uh, very closely. Uh, in fact, this was the church that Joe Stoll Jr. Uh, was a pastor of for many years. Uh, and we, we really loved it. Our heart uh, was there for sure. We moved on, uh, but uh, uh, as we left, uh, a young couple came uh, some years after. Paul and Stephanie Weaver. Paul is with us tonight, uh, and they've been there for eight years, uh, ministering while they uh, prior uh, and were in Michigan prior to that. But Paul holds a couple of of uh, hats. Wears a couple of hats. He's the youth pastor for the ministry there at Kokomo Bible Baptist Church. Gets into the high school right across the road, Kokomo High School. We were talk, chatting about that this evening over supper. Quite a ministry, a courageous youth pastor goes in where others dare not to go in. So he has a great ministry in the public school there. He has two daughters, Laura and Colleen, who are also involved there as uh, high school students. And Paul uh, in a, uh, also uh, is involved with uh, pastoring the young adults, college and career age uh, people, adults there and has uh, done a great job in discipling them. The men that we have tonight uh, that are speaking and, and uh, projecting and presenting their workshops are men that I personally have uh, uh, enjoyed in terms of hearing their, their ministry. While this is the first time I've met Paul, uh, I've gleaned a lot of uh, uh, what other people have said to me about him, and this is what we need for our, our mission conference this year. Well, Paul is your man. So we're really glad that Paul has driven the five hours or so from Indianapolis, uh, sorry, from uh, Kokomo, just north of Indianapolis, uh, to be with us. And uh, I've asked Pastor Mark if he would come and introduce Pastor Tom, who's uh, a good friend, and I, I only have bad stories about Pastor Tom. <laughs> So he, I think he's got a couple of good ones, and maybe he'll, and then after that intro, I'll share with you what we're doing this weekend. I had already done a little bit of introduction on Sunday, and I'll use the same introduction the coming Sunday, so uh, repetition helps us to learn. Uh, Tom Wright is just a, has become a very dear friend to me, um, and it started uh, not too long after I moved here uh, to Ohio, I was still enrolled in my Master Divinity program uh, through Baptist Bible Seminary and Clark Summit and uh, was taking some extension classes here, but would go back to Clark Summit, uh, I think, two or three times. And I went back to Clark Summit one time, and Tom was in a program there as well, and we ended up rooming uh, together that week. And that, that, that really is, is, 
I didn't know Tom before that. You know, I was still new in Ohio. And, uh, and just in that week together, the Lord just forged a, a I don't know, something, because we weren't around each other. He's, he's down in Columbus and way, way up here, but just something about ever since that time, whenever we would cross paths at a conference, Tom was just always very encouraging and uh, just uh, seemed to, to, in a few simple words, bring some, some life and encouragement into, into my life and into my ministry. And as I've grown to, to love and appreciate Tom, I've just seen his faithfulness at, at the church that he's pastored for many years, uh, doing the kinds of things that pastors are supposed to do in preaching the word, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing them come to know the Lord and training them and, and sending them out. Uh, he's been a pastor who's come alongside several couples in training and preparing them for ministry and seeing them sent out uh, in, into missionary endeavor, into pastoral work. And uh, so I, I, I look up to Tom in, in that sense as someone that I can, that I can learn from. And we just enjoyed some, some sweet fellowship. It's uh, just a, if we're each willing to drive about an hour, we can meet for lunch every now and then and, uh, and enjoy uh, some fellowship. And so he has been a very, very much a blessing uh, to my life. And I don't know his wife, Sue, as well, because she's not always there, but it's been a delight to meet Sue in the times that, uh, that we've been at conferences. And so, Tom and Sue, I just want to welcome you again. It, it's a delight, Tom, to have you here and to minister in, in our pulpit. Tom has uh, he's, he, he's participated in our Summerfest uh, a couple times, uh, and uh, he's spoken at our men's retreat uh, before, so he's not a stranger to us. Um, but it's good to have you back and looking forward to, to your ministry to us this weekend. Thank you, Pastor Mark. <clears throat> if you think you're a leader and you turn around and look and see if anybody's following you and there's nobody there, you may want to think twice about being a leader. Uh, Brother Tom is a leader. And like Pastor Mark mentioned, he's a, he's a mentor. Uh, I like him a lot because wherever we go, whether it's Africa or here in the States, he always has snacks for me. He always brings snacks for me. We had the men and Susie meet at our home tonight uh, before supper, and uh, Tom walked in with a bag of snacks for me. So that's, that's really why I like him. Tom and I have been to Africa a couple times. Uh, he's a board member, was a board member of EBM, and uh, really grew to love him. Looking forward to both of the men's uh, presentations. Uh, they're here because they know what they're doing. And when they turn around, there's people following them. And they're, a dis they're disciples, as Pastor has mentioned. <clears throat> So let me pray one more time uh, prior to that, uh, before Tom comes up and shares the, the word with us. I want to let you know what's happening then these next two days or tonight and the next two days. As you have noticed already and have gleaned from our bulletins, this is a little uh, untraditional uh, mission conference that we've had in the past. And uh, we thought we would try this uh, uh, type of program or, or setup of how we're doing this this year and see how uh, the folks like it and see if God's going to bless this kind of uh, program this year. Uh, when we leave after Brother Tom's uh, message tonight, there are three places for you to go. One of them is not home yet, 
Okay, we have, the, the, the conference is full of workshops, uh, at least three anyway. So when you leave the, the auditorium, uh, well, let me start over. Some can stay here. Some will go out to the cafeteria where uh, Paul Weaver will be and share, as your bulletins uh, mentioned uh, at the bottom, uh, uh, developing strategy for developing missionaries in your church. So he has a workshop on that on the cafeteria. Brother Tom's is pictures of international discipling here. And then mine is raising up missionaries in the youth room. So what we'd like to do, we've got some mission committee members here tonight that we call bouncers. So you better do what we tell you or we'll bounce you one way or the other. We have, uh, whether it's a large group tonight or a small group, we need to split you up into threes. Now, we're not going to do that uh, in any kind of system. But uh, So some of you are going to have to stay here. One-third of you will stay here. The other third will go down to the uh, cafeteria, and then the, and the last third will go to the youth room. All the workshops, uh, the three workshops, will remain the same in the same room, and it'll be the same material. So over the next two days, tomorrow and Sunday, you need to revolve then to another one. So by the time Sunday uh, afternoon rolls around, or Sunday morning, you will have gone through all three of the, of the workshops. Uh, after the workshop tonight concludes, you're free to go home. Uh, no ice cream tonight, but tomorrow... We, our first meeting is in the cafeteria at 12 noon, and hopefully you've signed up for that luncheon, and we'll sit and have a, a good lunch uh, put on by Dave and Randy, and then we will have a discussion uh, revolving around this topic uh, this year of raising up missionaries and developing missionaries, a strategy to do that in your own local church, and then sending them out. And then Saturday night, we'll come back uh, again at 6, uh, six o'clock, and uh, we will have uh, just the workshops, just the workshops. So we're not trying to run you crazy these next three days. Um, we, we just want you to be informed and be in the groove and be part of these workshops. Sunday morning, Pastor Tom will be preaching again. And then following that in our ABF hours, we will have our third and final workshop. And then they are released to go home. Uh, and then Sunday night, we'll be back again. And you'll be hearing from 12 of our supporting missionaries via video and some live presentations. So that's, uh, that's where we are. So after Brother Tom comes and shares the word, we are free to go to one of those workshops. And hopefully, Brother Paul and I will have somebody in our workshop that you won't just all stay here. Okay? Let's pray, and we'll let Tom come up. Father, we want to honor you again in the opening of the word and sharing our hearts, or have Brother Tom share his heart with us. Uh, we know he loves the word. He loves the Lord Jesus. And he loves missions. He loves discipling. And we're glad that they're able to be here, both he and Paul and, and Sue. So guide and direct our time now. May you use us and glorify yourself both now and in our workshops, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
Brother Tom? It's always good to be with friends. I love being with friends. And uh, there are times when ministry ebbs and flows when you really do appreciate your friends. Uh, your pastor is a friend that I feel like I can pick up the phone anytime and call him. And he'd be willing to listen to my tale of woe and give me counsel and help. And I really appreciate that. And it's good to meet Paul. I sense a kindred spirit in him as well. Uh, tonight, I want us just for a few minutes uh, to think about uh, seeing the world differently. And what, what I want to talk about tonight is going to be really, really basic. It's a, a call back to the basics of missionary ministry. And I suppose for me, there are times in my own ministry when I have to go back and revisit the basics. I have to make sure that I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I believe it's very easy to get in a groove of ministry where we are distracted and encumbered by a lot of things that, that is required of us in ministry, and we forget the really basic underlying uh, factor that has pulled us and pushed us in this direction. Seeing the world differently. I'm amazed how people see things that are so plain to me, and yet they see them so differently. A little bit like uh, this picture that if you, uh, if you have it there... I don't know if you have it up yet. You don't. Okay, don't worry about it. There's, a, there's another illustration that I like to use, and it's very fresh for me because back last fall, I had eye surgery. And uh, when I had that eye surgery, I now see things uh, a little differently. In fact, this is the absolute truth. After the surgery, I was amazed when my wife was driving me home, and I could really see after the second surgery how dirty my car was. It was filthy inside, and I thought, I never noticed that. You know, I, w I was living in a different world. I thought this was a wonderful world, and I discovered it's, it's not so nice. I was amazed at the old guy looking back at me in the mirror. You know, I, I saw hair growing out of places I didn't even know it should be there. And then um, I was amazed also, that really wasn't the first time I saw the world differently. I saw the world very differently after I got married. You know, um, I grew up in an all-boys home. Never was around girls. And uh, when I got married and began to see life through the eyes of my wife, my world changed. I learned that uh, you make a bed radically different than when I did before we were married. I learned that uh, the way you dress is much different after you're married than before you're married. You know, I remember so distinctly getting ready to go out of the house uh, not long after we were married. My wife says, you're not going out like that. And I thought to myself, I always go out like this. Well, not after that, because I begin to see the world differently. And then uh, I began to see the world very differently when children came into the picture. Four kids... You know, that'll radically change the way you look at the world. And you begin to think, um, wow, I didn't even know some stuff existed in the world till kids came. But probably the greatest change of all in how I began to see the world was after I was saved. 
after I came to know the Lord, I began to see the world differently. Even as a young boy, school looked different. My, my teachers, looked, my parents looked different. The pastor looked different, who was my dad, but he looked different. And I began to think about all the things that began to look different because of the presence of Christ in my life. Sometimes a church has to regroup and begin to see the world differently. I don't think you can read the Gospels without realizing how Jesus was always trying to help us look at the world differently. Now, tonight what I want to do is very simple. I want us to to sort of begin to look at the world from the perspective that Jesus began to paint and we're going to be able to do that when we, when we come back to the two very basics of missionary ministry from the local church. I want you to go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we're going to look at uh, three or four chapters in John just uh, real quickly. And then we're going to end up back in John chapter 3, so we're very familiar with that one. But in John chapter 2... And verse 15, you remember what Jesus did here. Jesus made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he said to them, take these things away. Don't make the Father's house a house of trade. And when the indignant money changers asked Jesus why he had the authority to do that, where was his sign of authority? He totally blew their minds with the view of a world that staggered them. Look at verse 19. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it. What did he mean? He meant change the way you look at your world. This temple where you sell goats and pigeons and and change money is coming to an an end, and it's going to be replaced with another temple, mainly me. I'll be the place where you meet God, Jesus said. Boy, what a different way to look at the world. This is that word temple. The temple began to to have a different look when Jesus began to paint the picture. But they didn't get it. Notice what they said in verse 20. It's taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? See, they, all they could see was, was the, the thing that had always been there. The thing that had been unchanging ever since they were little toddlers. And Jesus said, I want you to look at the temple differently. Go to chapter 3. In chapter 3, you have the matter of birth. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And Jesus talks to him about, of all things, he came to Jesus at night. He'd seen the signs that Jesus had done. And Jesus, in chapter 2, told us he knew what was in man. And that's why when Nicodemus came, Jesus didn't uh, begin chit-chatting with him. He just popped right in with the major issue of the new birth. He said, hey, by the way, Nicodemus, you know you must be born again. Jesus wanted him to look at the world differently. But, you know, he didn't get it. He said, wait a minute. How can a a guy that's old, how can an old man be reborn? 
Can he go back into his mother's womb? See, he didn't get it. He was was not seeing the world as Jesus wanted him to see it. Go to chapter 4. In chapter 4, you're very familiar with this passage of Scripture, and it's the incident that Jesus had an audience with the Samaritan woman, and he meets her, and the issue is not the temple, and the issue is not birth, the issue is water. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, and he drops a bombshell on her in verse 10. He said, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Wow. I want you to look at the world differently. I want you to see water differently. She said, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get anything out of this well? Well, she didn't get it, at least not yet. She didn't get it. Go back to go go on to chapter six. In chapter six of John, now we're not talking about temple. We're not talking about water or birth. We're talking here about bread. In chapter six, Jesus miraculously feeds over five thousand people with five little barley loaves and two fish. And the point was to help these people see the world in a radically different way. That there's power from heaven that can nourish your, your life like no bread on earth ever could. In verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. Uh, but they didn't get it. Jesus said, I want you to see, I want you to see the I want you to see bread differently. Jesus realized what was going on because back in verse 26, he said, You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You're still looking at the physical bread from the bakery. Now, the point of all these illustrations that Jesus gives, I believe, in this passage of Scripture is this. Jesus wants us to see the world differently than the way we ordinarily see it. So for the rest of our time, go back to John chapter 3. In chapter 3, I just want to read a few verses at random. It's so familiar to you. And you remember Nicodemus' conversation with Jesus and Jesus' response, especially in verse 3, where Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Go down to verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Go down to verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. For if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe If I tell you heavenly things. Now there are two God-established laws or rules that Jesus deals with in his interview with Nicodemus. That take us to the heart 
of the basics of missions and helps us see the world differently. And here they are. These are not, this is not new stuff, but I'll tell you something. When, when something's on your heart and you don't get it out and, and you don't bring people into that circle, it's hard to move to the next level. Do you understand what I mean? You, you can't talk about missions, you can't talk about discipleship until we understand the perimeters God has drawn until the church of Jesus Christ, which we are, until we buy 110% into it wholeheartedly with, with both feet, both arms, and our minds fully engaged in saying, yes, we believe and are committed to that. Uh, until we, and, and I shouldn't take this for granted, until we are able to discern God's established rules that give us the basics of missions, then it's going to be very difficult for us to be energized to do the next steps. Now, these are not new, but these are very, very important to me as a pastor. It's important to me as we disciple people, as we send people out. This is so critical, so critical. The first rule is this, and it's found in verse 3. Let me give you the rule, and I want to read the verse. Biblical missions is based on a no human exception rule. Everyone in our world needs a rebirth. No exceptions. Absolutely none. What did Jesus say in John 3, 3? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, period. No exceptions. Now, why am I making a point of this? Well, number one, it's obvious that Jesus made a point of this. The church has to be convinced that what Jesus said is irrefutable, undeniable, and without exception. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 7, you must be born again. It's not I suggested. It's not your life would improve if you added this to your experience. No new birth is a necessity. And the word of God, and Jesus stated it simply up front, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The church, I believe, must camp out on those ideas and those words of Jesus. I should never, in my heart or mind, ever be comforted that my next door neighbor, who is a great guy, who's a wonderful guy, who would give his shirt off of his back, I cannot in any way take comfort that maybe, just maybe, he might be in heaven without the new birth. He will not. He will not. The church must believe that there is something wrong with all of us. A lot of people that I meet don't know what's wrong with them, but they know something's wrong. And I can prove it to you. If you have a sore on your ankle and you go into the doctor and he comes out and he says to you, I have some, I have some tough news for you. We're going to have to take your leg off just below the knee. Now, that remedy tells me more about what's wrong with me than any fancy words. What's wrong with me must be serious if he's going to have to take my leg off below the knee. 
If Jesus says, I need a complete rebirth, that ought to tell us something is radically wrong with us. The church can't patch up sinners. We, We can't have little ditty classes telling them how to be a better husband and a better wife and a better mother and a better father and a better neighbor and a better employee or an employer unless and until they are indwelt by the Spirit of God and are changed from the inside out. There are no exceptions. Absolutely none. I'm not against the church reaching out to their community and and doing things for them socially, but I'll tell you something. If the church of Jesus Christ, if that's all we're going to do, and the trajectory of our ministry is not focused on a total rebirth in that individual's life, then we're barking up the wrong tree. The old birth made us just flesh, and that's not enough to make us right with God. You know, when I, when I think of what Jesus said here, I, I am absolutely convinced that the church has to believe that human beings cannot be fixed by any other means than the new birth. We, we have to, man himself cannot produce a rebirth. Now, theologically we embrace that. But I wonder, in a very practical sense, if we have fully embraced that. If there's not in the average congregation's heart and mind this deep-seated hope that somehow if the gospel does not transform my friend, he'll still be okay. We have got to get that thinking out of our mind altogether. Can a man in love with his money enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said in Matthew 19, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Can the natural man welcome the things of the Spirit of God? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that they are foolishness to the natural man. Can the human mind, as it comes into being and grows by natural processes, please God? Romans 8, 7 and 8 said the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. And in that fleshly state without a rebirth, he cannot please God. Can a man enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born when he's old? Of course not. Do you feel the shock of what Jesus is requiring of Nicodemus when he said you must be born again? We are to be stunned in this text that no one will enter the kingdom of God unless he's had a second birth. Religion can't produce it. The the, the most sincere effort of man cannot produce it. Biblical missions is based on a no exception rule. And if that doesn't drive us, if, if what Jesus said here, if we are not fully in tune with that, if we are not completely overcome by that statement. If we, When we go to bed at night and wake up in the morning, if we really, really believe that people that are not born again without Jesus Christ will spend eternity in hell apart from the Son of God forever, if we believe that, really with all our hearts, we have embraced the first God-established rule for missions. 
Now, there is a second one. It's in verse 5. Biblical missions is based not only on a no-exception rule, every person in this world needs a rebirth, but number two, biblical missions is based on a no-human-endeavor rule. Everyone in our world needs supernatural intervention to experience the new birth. Look at verse 5. There's a lot of theology in verse 5. Jesus answered when, when Nicodemus gave his worldview of birth, which he missed totally, Jesus' uh, explanation. How can this happen? Jesus said, well, you brought it up, Nicodemus. Let me tell you how it will happen. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless born, one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There is no human endeavor that can bring about the new birth. As much as I want to see some of my neighbors and friends come to Christ, I cannot affect the new birth in them. You see, it is a supernatural change in life direction that the new birth brings. If you look down to verse 13, of chapter 3, you'll notice how Jesus put it, no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. See, what he's saying is that this thing that, that I'm talking to you about came down when I came down. And, and no man can bring it down or no man can pull it up. Man can't change his direction. He can't enter the kingdom of God without supernatural intervention of whatever the water and the spirit is. It's supernatural. Jesus was very clear with Nicodemus. One who's experienced the new birth is headed for this kingdom of God thing. He'll see it. He'll experience it both now and in the future. That's why Paul was so adamant in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he gave the perimeters of the new birth. When he said, look, when a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are in the process of passing away. All things are in the process of becoming new. There is a transformation in life direction for that individual. And it happened supernaturally. There was no human endeavor that produced that. I often say uh, to uh, the men that I train, I said, you know, one of the the greatest privileges in all the world, one of the greatest, is when God lets you be there when he births a new spiritual baby. When he births a new baby. He lets us be there. Isn't that the coolest thing in all the world? I get to be there. I didn't do it. My goodness, I know I couldn't do, it, do anything like that. God says, here, come over here. Four o'clock Sunday afternoon, I want you to walk over there. I want you to witness. So we go over there. I want you to send this couple out. They send them out. 3.30 on Thursday, somewhere in Brazil, the missionary leads someone to Christ. And God lets them be there to see him do it. See, that's a, that's a change, a supernatural change in life direction. Look at verse 6 too. It's a supernatural change in life condition. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Let me tell you something. If you're born into this world in the flesh and you die in the flesh without having a rebirth, you die carrying with you all the seeds of death that flesh brought to you when you came into this world. 
But look what he says in the last part of verse 6. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Supernatural condition. When I was conceived and born by human parents, I share in a human nature. When I am conceived and born by the Holy Spirit, I share in a divine nature. And what happens in the new birth is not an improvement of my old nature. It is a totally new nature supernaturally implanted in me by the God of the Bible. And we have to buy into that. No human endeavor saves a sinner from their sins. Your first birth makes you alive to human life and your second birth makes you alive to spiritual life. Your first birth knits your heart affectionately to your earthly parents. But your second birth knits your heart To the God who loved you and gave his son up for you. My first birth gives me an appetite for warm milk and and cool reputation and money. But my second birth gives me an appetite for this God who redeemed me. My first birth imparts a natural impulse to save my life. Are you ready for this? The second birth supernaturally imparts me desire for others to have this life and to be intimate with the one who gave me this life. See, that's that's a supernatural condition. I can't pray that into somebody. I can't preach that into somebody. I can't buy that into somebody. There is no human endeavor involved in that. And the church has to buy into that or it will be a big flop when it comes to missions. Let me tell you, we're in trouble in missions, John. And I'll tell you why. Because the church at large does not believe that human endeavor doesn't have something to do with it. Because if we really believed, and I, I preach this to my church all the time, if we really believe there's no human endeavor involved, then why aren't we on our knees praying that God would do what only God can do? The biggest strategy that a church can do in reproduction is get their prayer life on track. It's amazing when we begin to talk to God about the things that are closest to God's heart, how he begins to do things we can't do anyway. Supernatural change in life direction. Supernatural change in life condition. Look at verse 11 and 12. Supernatural change in life persuasion. Jesus said, I say to you, we speak of what we know, bear witness to what we've seen. You don't receive our testimony. If I tell you earthly things, you don't believe. How are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? And one who's reborn begins to believe the Bible, begins to believe the heavenly things, begins to act on the strength of that. There is no persuasion of a human nature that can completely and radically change the mind and the heart. Early on in my ministry, when I would witness to people, I would try to drive hard for a decision right then, and I would feel a failure if I walked out and hadn't prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm ashamed to tell you. I still have that patience. I want to see them saved. But you know, here's the thing. 
I've got to wait on the Spirit of God to do that. The Spirit of God's got to do that. I, I, I can't. It's not human endeavor. The Spirit of God does His work. The church has to be convinced of that. The power of the gospel doesn't come from getting a guy a job or changing his social environment, but in praying him and, and, and proclaiming Jesus Christ and in that prayer that God would bring him to the feet of the Savior and save him. So let me ask you something. How, how are you seeing the world? When you look out of this world, do you see the world where there are no exceptions, that everyone has to be reborn? When you see the world, do you see it that absolutely no human endeavor is going to turn their lives around and bring them to Christ? Well, if that's true, what do we do as a church? Well, first thing we do, obviously, is we make a big deal of the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came and is willing to give them a rebirth. He's willing. That's good news. You know, you don't have to stand on the outside with your nose pressed to the window. He wants to bring you in. I can proclaim that. And then as a church, we begin to structure our body life and our prayer life around the reality that our endeavors will not bring the bus into the station. That we are going to rest on the power and the presence of the Word of God and His Spirit using that to turn things around. And we're going to believe that the gospel will do that. I mean, really believe it. No more hangdog expressions. Well, I witnessed old Joe this week, and, and he, didn't, he didn't trust the Lord. And a man recently said to me, Pastor, I've been witnessing my friend, and he just hasn't made any move to Christ. And I said, well, that's today. <laughs> what about tomorrow? What about the next day? Are you just going to quit? You're just going to say, well, well, are you going to tell me that the gospel is no longer working in your world? No, no, we've got to see it differently. A church that does not allow itself to see the world from the perspective of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, I believe will only play at their missionary responsibility. The only avenue of hope for my neighbors is the radical life change found in the new birth. No human exception rule. Everyone in my world needs a new birth. I believe that with all my heart. No human endeavor rule. Everyone in our world needs supernatural intervention to experience the new birth. I believe that with all my heart. And the church must be absolutely committed to the truth that there's only one way out of this mess and into God's favor, and that is the new birth. No wonder Paul was so exercised, energized when he wrote this famous missionary interrogation in Romans 10, 14, and 15. And I'll just just end with this. It's so powerful. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? 
How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? The beginning of the verse starts with the necessity of belief. The end of the verse tells us how God gets the message to those who need to believe. And he takes care of the belief and he takes care of the birth. We're just the messenger boys that are dependent on the one who produces supernatural life. Well, the thing is, are you ready to see the world differently? You know, this is so basic, I even hesitated to bring this. But I guess I needed this. I guess I needed this. I need to be reminded that don't don't get comfortable that your friend's going to be okay without Jesus. They're not going to be okay. They're not. And only the Spirit of God. When they are born by water and the Spirit, when the Word of God coupled with the Spirit of God begins to work on them, look out. He might just let you be there when he births that new baby. That's what I want. Lord, help us. Help us to be able, Lord, to to remember and to put in our souls deeply these two God-established rules about missions. And Lord, whatever else we do and however else we structure our ministries, don't let us get away from these two basic rules. For Lord, you said them, you practiced that, you proclaimed that truth, and you even pulled the curtain back on hell and let us see the reality of that truth. Make us a church. Make our church, make this church, a church that lives and dies by the God-established rules. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.